Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to Smart Enough to Know Better, a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Gregoire. And I'm Dan Beeston. And in this episode of Smart Enough to Know Better... I am saying a fond farewell to a good friend who carried me when I needed carrying. What? 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 Do, do I need to know something here, Dan? Oh, no, not you. No, oh. a good friend, Greg. Oh, good. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. And I have my eyes on you. And then I'm going to hang out with the Kodiak Bears. But before we get there, what have you done this week in science, Mr. Wah? This Wah? week in in science, Dan Beeston, I noticed a couple of, about two weeks ago in This Week in Science. <laughs> so two weeks ago in This Week in Science, I noticed uh, it's, that... This, it's This Week in Science, but it is over the last month. Because we're not a magic. weekly science. Don't, don't oh, do this. The, the thing is, every second week I do amazing scientific things, but I can't yes. talk about them. That's right. Yeah, we, we can't. We've been all sorts of places. But anyway, so in my week in science, Dan, I had this little white thing on my right forearm. Well, and like it was just a, a, raised, like an animal? a little raised fungus? bit of flesh. Was it fungus? You should be washing every day or at least a couple I do, of times a week. I do wash every day. I wash every day whether I need it or not. So it was a like, clean thing on your arm. Yes. It was, a, it was a raised bit of flesh. It was a bit white. And I've had it for a long time. It had been there for, I don't know, years. I hadn't even thought about it particularly. It was just one of those things as you get older, your body goes, I'm making stuff. And you're like, okay, body, great, well done. And... I got a little pimple under it or near it, and it was just a normal-looking pimple, and it did its pimply thing, but then it seemed to get infected, and I cleaned it and kept it all sort of nice and sort of thought about it for a bit and then forgot about it and thought about it a bit and forgot about it over a couple of days, which then turned into weeks. And finally I went, it's been nearly two months since I had this thing on my arm. I should probably go to a doctor and see about what the heck this is. Yeah, hey, that's that's very forward that's very that's very uh, sensible of you that's not generally a man thing to do is to like well, two months come on give it another week <laughs> i really was thinking that so i went in and the doctor had a look at it and went oh, oh yeah how long has that been there went two months and he went oh my oh my god he went look after two weeks you should have been in like you really should have been in after two weeks what, not, you're not a woman? two months a sensible what? thoughtful woman who would take her own personal well-being seriously <laughs> So, uh, yeah, basically I went in and he, he looked at it and said, look, that's got to come out. That doesn't look that doesn't look good at all. That's really got to come out very, very soon. So I was like, OK, cool. So I went back. They gave me lots of injections and they injected me lots of stuff in my arm. And then they chopped it out of me and they sewed it all up and they sent it off to the pathologist to see what the heck it actually was. Contact and ceased at the pathologist after six hours and intubation <laughs> time of... <laughs> It's just large lumps of Greg have now taken over the eastern seaboard of Australia. <laughs> oh, terrifying. We've got, we've got incoming war. Oh. Where is and our mother? Our mother. <laughs> to go across the poor thing, have to have to cross across the desert. It'd be very sad. I'm not big into in living in deserts. That would anyway. be uh, that would be Akiwa. Akiwa. It would be it would be like the the, the Japanese anime Akiwa. Oh, that's, hey. actually, that's sorry. I, I thought you were saying quinoa, and I was like, what's that got to do with anything? No, I understand now. Yeah. That's, like, it's more, that's the hipster version. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So anyway, long story short, it turned out not to be cancer, which is nice. It was a solar keratosis, but it was an ulcerated keratonic lesion. Don't you love those words? An ulcerated keratonic lesion. Basically, it was a buildup of skin. But it did have, get this, showing mild squamous dysplasia. Ooh, that's... I have never heard the word squamous outside of Cthulhu. Oh, no. Also, (laughs) I was pretty much banging on the money with the... uh... Yes. So squamous, which horror was described as squamous, basically means scaly. And dysplasia, I was like, oh, no, what does dysplasia mean, doctor? Use your magic words. No, 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 that's fine. What it means is it's like dis as in not right or bad and plasia as in formation. So it's bad formed squamous cells and it means that it's the pre thing before cancer so it wasn't cancer but maybe one day if it had thought about it and you had nothing else to do it could have turned into something pretty bad yeah. but it wasn't it was one of them on my face once nice it, that explains a lot yeah so now i have a little tiny teardrop scar on my face oh okay and so but so gangsters and people from prison keeps thinking that i've killed someone so it's good for my social cachet especially where you live can we not talk about where i live (laughs) now here's so basically the the point of this is especially guys if you've got sort of weird lumps on you or something like go to a doctor have a look at it because maybe if i'd waited a bit longer that could have gone funny and killed me so that you know that wouldn't be fun at all so maybe go to a doctor also remember the sun is trying to kill you especially in australia the sun is not your friend don't go stand oh my god The, the the frog princess started watching this youtube series this woman is like all about skincare and now the frog princess is slathering me in 70 plus skin block all the time. She's like blacking out the windows. Suddenly Brilliant. the sun is like this monster that's after us all the time. It, and it absolutely is. It's terrible. It, it ages you, does all sorts of terrible things. So that's the first thing I learned. The second thing. I, I told her, I don't care whether I look like old and sort of wrinkly and stuff. She's like, I do. I have to look at you. <laughs> weak. That's, that's a very good point. Now, my second point I was asking about, because it's I'm going to have a little scar on my arm and it takes about a year to 18 months before you know what the scar will finally look like and people at my work were saying oh don't worry if it looks weird and bubbly which is kind of looking a bit strange they were saying oh you can whack on all this anti-scarring cream and that'll look that'll look really well so they'll tell me all their favorite anti-scarring creams so when i went back to the doctor to get my report i sort of talked about this and he just gave me a look and went it's not a thing they're no better than placebo in all clinical trials you might as well put on petroleum jelly it doesn't work. Yeah. So there's a whole industry out there of, of scar removal creams or scar reduction creams that don't work, but it's like a big thing. Uh. Now, when I sort of said, is there anything? He said, what, was there any part of it that's real? He said, what, what makes it feel real is what does actually work quite well is massaging. So when you put the cream on your skin and you massage the scar, then that helps. And if you massage a scar that's less than two years old, about 10 minutes, two or three times a day, that does seem to show scar-reducing effects. If you massage, quite deep massage, it's start off as light as you want and then get deeper and stronger as, you, as much as you can take, I guess, without tearing your skin, I suppose, uh, that will actually show an effect. So don't waste all your money on scar creams. Just massage the area. Have some fun. Enjoy it. That was my week in science. Nice. I got a kayak for my birthday. 
A month or two ago. Fair enough. I took it paddling the other day into a lovely mangrovey area on the. He Brisbane lives somewhere coast. near hardened criminals and kayaking mangroves. I may have driven a considerable distance to get to this lovely mangrove area somewhere on the Brisbane coast, which I was like. See, when I did when I first did this first draft, I'm like, here is exactly where I went. I'm like, no, no, Greg will turn that against me. <laughs> okay, so I was in this lovely little Sydney inlet. <laughs> uh, it was very restful and very rejuvenating just to sit in the water with fish jumping around and sort of just letting myself drift through the water. Now, exercise is very good for humans. It reduces anxiety. It makes them feel better. But there's something special about going out in nature uh, to a park or bushland or wetland environments, something you don't get by just going to the gym. There's, a, there's an energy. There, there's a, it's, it's almost spiritual. Uh, I felt my aura being refreshed. Uh, it was what? like I was breathing in magic air that was increasing what? my wellness. What? Uh, and the, the, the thing about this garbage way of thinking is that it's kind <laughs> of on the right track. <laughs> a group of researchers in Japan were studying a pursuit called forest bathing, which is this thing where people will wander into the forest and just drink in the environment specifically for the health benefits. Okay. The results show that forest environments promote lower concentrations of cortisol, lower pulse rate, lower blood pressure, greater parasympathetic nerve activity, and lower sympathetic nerve activity than do city environments. Ooh. So kind of common sense. Being in nature is much more restful than being in a city where you're going to get hit by a car. I don't have the research to show here, but I'm, I'm always a bit nervous about saying that cities aren't natural because humans are natural. We're part of nature. We're just an animal in nature. It's a built environment, which is different to a non-built environment, but it's still natural. Oh, as in it's not, I like that. It, it's oh, not that's... supernatural, is it? It's not proto-natural or pre-preternatural. It's part of nature. It's just us. Yeah. We're part of nature. I guess so. So uh, is, is a bower bird's bower not natural? It, it's not if it's a robot bower bird. <laughs> Although, according to you, yes, it is. All right. Oh, well, no, I, this, I, is, I, this is robots all the way down. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. yeah. No, I like it. I like it. I'm yeah. on board. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, from the perspective of physiological anthropology, human beings have lived in the natural in quotes, natural environment <laughs> for most of the 5 million years of their existence. Therefore, their physiological functions are most suited to natural settings. This is the reason why natural environments enhance relaxation. So that's mm. what an anthropologist would say. But there's something more going on here. We have a thing in us called the natural killer cell or the NK cell. It's a critical part of our immune system. Scientists discovered that when you inhale phytoncides, this increased NK cell activity. Now, a phytoncide is an antimicrobial allochemic volatile organic compound derived from plants. And where do we get these phytoncides from? In the Japanese pine forests. There's a tree called the Hinoki cypress and it releases it. Uh, You breathe it in and your internal biome changes and you've got yourself up to seven days of extra NK cell activity. Is it only Japanese cypresses? Well, Australian eucalypts also release this substance, though they didn't test these ones. They weren't part of the experiment. So we're not going to make any assumptions, but Mm -hmm. it would not be surprising to people if they did. It'd be a good research paper for someone to do. Yeah. The role of NK cells in both the innate and adaptive immune responses, 
is becoming increasingly important in research using NK selectivity as a potential cancer therapy. Weird. So ultimately what, mm. what this is saying is stop your chemo and go for a nice walk in the forest. That's not what we're saying. That's exactly we're saying what we're saying. Greg, Greg, no, I don't want to do chemo. Chemo is really bad for my aura. <laughs> so what you're saying is you'd much rather go walk in Cypress Hill. Oh, I wish I knew one of those. Was it insane in the membrane? <laughs> insane in the brain. I, I'm, I'm hoping it's, that's one too. I, but we, we're gonna get yelled at otherwise. Yeah, oh, we, I'm not gonna look that up. I'm just gonna leave it in. <laughs> Dan, why do humans have forward-facing eyes? Um, well, to because. If you had eyes in the back of your head, then that would be where you were facing. That's like that would be the front. Well, that would. So you still have forward-facing eyes. Yeah. So it doesn't answer the question. So if I, if I, yeah, I've got forward-facing eyes, I'd just be able to run away really quickly whilst watching okay. the thing chase me. So why? What do you think the reason for both your eyes being faced nicely forwards, like they are in the front oh, of your face? Oh well, I know this one. This is for, so I get stereoscopic vision, which allows me right. to judge depth up to almost thirty meters. I think about thirty meters for a. Not, for a, not for you a, though, obviously. You need glasses, so it's like you're. I you're can a still cyborg. judge depth. <laughs> not to thirty meters. Yeah. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, yours, just. I see. Just a, I go. Oh, that that thing over there, that fuzzy thing over there, is twenty five meters away. <laughs> that could be a bear or a cypress tree. Not too sure, but it's definitely 26, 24, 23, 20, 19, 18, 15, 10. It's seven, a bear! Five. It's a bear! It's a bear! <laughs> and after about uh, thirty meters, then all of your ability to judge the size and distance of stuff ends up coming down to context. And you're going, oh, I know how big a tree is and I know how big a car is. And, and, and also um, when all the lines co- converge. Parallax. That? That's the, that's, yeah, I think that's the one. Perspective. 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 Okay, yes, yes. So a lot of people were wondering so why, do, why do humans have eyes in the front of their face and not on the side of their face? And recently it had come to oh, my attention, oh, oh, a lot of people oh, were oh, saying. Oh, 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 oh. Well, I, yes. I know what happens in, with birds. What they say yes. is like pigeons, which are a prey animal, they, they've got eyes on both sides, so they can look everywhere all at the same time. They've got this huge... Yeah. Like ducks, 270 degrees for 270 ducks. 270 degrees. But yeah. owls have got eyes like us where it's straight ahead so they can judge distance and, like, hunt them really effectively. So, yes. so yeah. that would hunting. imply that we were more of a hunting species than a... That seems, like a, that seems like a good idea. So this is something that I noticed kind of recently. A lot of people were saying we're trying to justify or explain humans being nasty to other humans and we're saying we're violent and all the rest, which I don't actually agree with because there's 7.4 billion of us and if, if we all hated each other, we'd all just murder each other. Yeah, we're, we not, we're the most social ape there is. You put a... We're, you put... You, you fill a city... You fill a city full of monkeys, that's an unnatural uh, environment. <laughs> maybe, maybe bonobos would just get it on a lot more, but that's a different story for a different time. <laughs> There'd be orgy parties. But so I, I disagree with the concept that we are a totally violent, violent ape. But this idea of, oh, you know, we're violent, and people started saying, oh, look, it's obvious because we have forward-facing eyes. And animals, as you said, that are predators have forward-facing eyes. And so you have lions or you have wolves, wolves or you have... Like, pro- like packs of wolves or prides of lions yes. or... Uh, eagles, yeah. eagles are forward-facing. Yeah. All of these, all of these animals that are well known for attacking themselves. These <laughs> prides of, well, actually, prides of lions. They do. Well, they, they mainly do poachers. A That's a different story. Well, no, uh, they, they, they do. Like, uh, the, like a big lion will come in, 
like a male lion will come into a pride and you'll kill all the cubs. Yes. Which means, you know what that means? You should definitely kill your, your partner's children if you've married them or been with them and they've been with someone else. Lions do not have stepchildren. Don't they? That's, yes, that's right. That's that, what I'm trying to say. Neither should humans. Yeah. It's unnatural. But what this means is that if you go through all the Disney films, Scar from The Lion King, he's like the, he's like the chillest dude ever. The yeah, only thing that he did was take over the pride, which he's supposed to do. He's a lion. Yeah. And when it came to Mufasa's kid, he convinced the kid to run away instead of just him. slaughtering him on the spot, yeah. which is what any other lion would do. Scar is the the, the, the goodest dude there is. <laughs> we're, we're pro Scar here. Pro Scar. Listen, what chance do you have? What chance do you have when your name is Scar? Your brother's Mufasa, and your name's Scar. I mean, come on, parents. I mean, really? Like you just you might as well just go on evil and good. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's short for Mufasa. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, predators supposedly have forward-facing eyes yep. and prey have sideward-facing eyes. This is the concept. And I wanted to look into this because it always rubbed me the wrong way. I was and The idea, of course, that humans have forward-facing eyes, we're a predator, we're violent, we're horrible, and uh, you know we, we like to kill. Now, we're obviously omnivores. We have teeth for ripping and tearing flesh, also teeth for grinding uh, grains things. We also have halfway through guts. So we're definitely omnivorous. We, we eat meat and plants. I've looked this up and looked down at some articles about this, but of course there are predators that don't actually have forward-facing eyes. A mongoose is a predator, doesn't have uh, forward-facing eyes. So not all predators have forward-facing eyes. Not all not all prey species have sideways-facing eyes. It's too simplistic. Chameleons are predators, like they eat bugs and stuff, and their eyes yeah. are all over the damn shop. And their eyes are technically can face forward and backwards and sideways and forward and backwards and sideways and forwards, and yeah, they're pretty cool. So I need, they need to find out what was going on. Now, the answer is, in, as in most things in science, is we're not terribly sure why humans have forward-facing eyes. Not really. We don't, there's no definitive answer just before we go into this. And it's all quite recent as well. So in the early 20th century, the idea came about of brachiating. So what's called arboreal locomotion hypothesis. We evolved from an ape that can move through the trees. And we have to be able to reach out, as you said, uh, within 30 meters and reach out and grab a branch. Oh, your fucking arms. <laughs> true. Like, forward-facing eyes means you can grab the branch and you can move through the, uh, the forest, yeah, through the yeah. canopy. That was an idea. So that, that was a, And that's for a long time that lasted, for 70 years or so, that kind of lasted. It's the reason why we have forward-facing eyes. Nothing great, to do with violence. Great, segment over. Yeah, that's right. But someone pointed out that actually lots of animals move through trees that don't have forward-facing eyes. Many birds, mainly they fly, and also squirrels. Squirrels have sideward-facing eyes, seem to get through trees just fine. So it doesn't necessarily count that we're using our eyes. We couldn't have done it with sideward-facing eyes. They could have been on the side of our heads. All right. So now we jump to early 21st century, which is a long time, as in 100 years of thinking about it, and suddenly now in the 21st century we're going, what's the real idea? And the next one is visual predation hypothesis, which is the one we've been talking about, which is your eyes face forward so that you can uh, kill something and eat it. But as we pointed out, that mongooses don't have that, tree shrews, robins don't have forward-facing eyes, but they predate just well, just perfectly fine. So it's probably not that either. So let's move on to another one, which is the same one really, but it's for nighttime. We're a nighttime species, and we need to have forward-facing eyes so we can collect more light so we can see at night. But we hang out in the day a lot, so it's not not necessarily... Like if you think of a Tarsus uh. or a... 
uh, all those sort of things. I've always uh, found I'm... that poor vision at night is actually really good for helping uh, humans make more humans. <laughs> yeah, as soon as those lights come up, you're like, ah, oh, actually, no, maybe I don't want to continue my DNA. <laughs> A lot of mistakes have been made in that area. Uh, and lots of stepchildren, which we, which we now know we have to eat. So finally, the, the one I really like, the latest one, the 2008 one, is something called the X-ray vision hypothesis, which is really cool. So we have X-ray. What? X-ray. Now, this is a great experiment. If you hold up three fingers or even four fingers in front of your face and look into the distance, so don't look at your fingers, but you, you, you hold them as close as you like, you can be as far away as you like, but look out the window at something out of a window. Then I can see can, through them! You can see right through them, exactly right. You can see, because of parallax, because your eyes are separated, your, your vision is not blocked. So the idea of X-ray vision hypothesis is, if you are a big animal, and we are a very big animal, one of the biggest animals on the planet compared to everything else, then you can't just hide behind a leaf and then look out from behind the leaf and not get seen. You have to stay still. And if something's moving past, like a, a, a prey or something like that or, or, um, or a predator, then you need to be able to watch it with your eyes and not move your body. And so the X-ray hypothesis is you can see through the dense leaves because you can, using parallax of your ah. eyes, you can actually see a distance away without your vision being blocked by the thing in front of you. So, yeah, I think this is really cool. I think it's a really nice idea. And it doesn't mean it definitely is. It hasn't been totally and utterly set yet. But at least it gets away from that we're a big, violent, monstrous species that likes to kill. Uh, it could just be that we lived in trees. And that's what they all were. Every one of these things that I've said today is all about living in trees. We're, we, were, we evolved originally in trees, and then we came out of trees as human beings and lived on savannas. But a lot of our adaptions are for tree living. There you go. Yeah, and most of the really scary humans, they've only got one eye anyway. They're the ones you got to look out for. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, like like those guys with just one big scar instead of an eye. Oh, that's like true. they're the yes. ones. Like they're the threatening ones, and they don't have I two eyes. We, I thought we were pro scar now. Ah, oh, damn. Yeah, no, I haven't thought this through. We have to massage them, massage them to reduce the swelling of the scar. Oh, this is all locking together like like a Lego kit, isn't it? <laughs> And now we turn to our spine-tingling horror series, Cthulhu by Gaslight. You know, Dennis, these last two months have been wonderful. But there's something... No, it's nothing. It's just... Look, I don't think you are a spice merchant from Holland after all. But actually, the great old one, Cthulhu. What? Me? Cthulhu? That's insane. Such an insane idea. Insane. 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 It's not insane, Dennis. You're Cthulhu. You're bigger than a mountain, have tentacles for a face, and drive men mad when they look at your terrible visage. You know what's really mad here? You. You're crazy. Crazy. Crazy, Dennis. Please don't say that. It's not just me that thinks you're crazy as a loon. Everybody does. Everybody says, there goes Crazy Pat. She's mad as a brush with her crazy ideas. Who says I'm crazy? All your friends, your parents. 
parents, everybody. They all tell me you're crazy, but don't want to tell you because you're too damn crazy. No, I, do, I don't believe you. <laughs> Let me prove it. Hey, hey, you, you human. Is my friend here crazy? The great old one is returned. Has risen. Crazy? Maybe they're right. Maybe you are a spice merchant. I don't know what to believe anymore. Don't worry, Patricia. Just stay with me and I'll protect you and love you and eat you last. And eat me last? <laughs> no, Patricia. I said love you and it will last. Also, would it kill you to smile a little more? You're so much prettier when you smile. Oh, yes, dear. Thank you. <laughs> I went to the supermarket the other day. Good. And I took my reusable bag. Well done, you. Sometimes you just forget, and you're like, I'll just use a, 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 a single-use bag, single-use plastic bag. We're not, we can't do that anymore. No. Like, you mentioned we... this that was um, it, when you went to the Northern Territory once. You were like, oh, there's, they don't do plastic bags here now. And you mm-hmm. wandered home in, like, a just trying to juggle, like, six different ingredients that you're <laughs> going to eat one at a time. I hadn't trained myself to not consider them as something I could grab at any moment. Hmm. I just wanted to say, like, a, like a, a goodbye to the plastic bag mm. because I think it's been getting a bad rap, no pun intended. <laughs> it was invented by a man named Sten Gustav Thulen. He's an inventor, which is a special mm-hmm. kind of scientist that doesn't just talk about shit. They actually get stuff done. <laughs> he is the inventor of the plastic bag. In 1962, he folded, welded, and die-cut a flat tube of plastic and created a strong, light, reusable, and cheap carrying bag. It was better than the paper bags that it replaced. Ooh. Now, better go, as in stronger. The didn't fall apart as quickly. stronger. Mm-hmm. It's made of polyethylene. You can crush them, stretch them, puncture them, wet them. Paper bags are a one-time deal. But these plastic bags, environmental activists say it takes a 1,000 years for plastic bags to break down in the environment. That's Mm. 40 generations. This is a wonder product, Greg. This is a bag that will last you for 40 generations. (laughs) This is this, my son, this, my son, is your grandfather's plastic bag, as it was his father's before him. I, I was um, out and about walking around Perth recently, and I, I saw a, a plaque on the street, and, uh, and it was talking about this, this was like the area that the uh, the Noongar people, who are like the, the indigenous people around Perth, they used to come to this place as a meeting place, and they used to pass on this meeting stick from father to son. Mm-hmm. And in that family, those families, they'd have these sticks that had been passed down for like a thousand years. Wow. This one stick, this message stick, and they could write things on and pass on to the next generation, kind of like a way of passing on wisdom. So I like the idea that the indigenous Australians are passing a message stick, but we were passing plastic bags. Yeah. <laughs> like if, there the is, if there's any argument against the plastic bag, it's, it's that it's too good. It's too popular. How popular, <laughs> Greg? There are a trillion plastic bags Ooh. on planet Earth. Wow. A, a trillion of anything is an environmental concern. Let's not blame the plastic bag. 
Okay. It's the number if, trillion. If we had a trillion pandas, that would be a, an environmental fucking catastrophe. <laughs> we'd, have to, we'd be eating panda day and night. Oh, just be... goodness. It's light. It's seven times lighter and smaller than the paper bag that it replaced. That's trucks, boats, planes that are using seven times less fuel to transport this stuff. Yep. Um, there's no trees cut down and pulped. It is an environmental godsend. <laughs> okay, and uh-huh. I know what you're saying, Gregoire. Uh-huh. You're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, trees are renewable, Dan, but what about all the wasted petroleum? Is that yes, what you're yes. saying? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Plastic bags do not waste petroleum. Don't they? Uh, so what happens is they get petroleum gas. Now, when you cook with gas, you're using like butane and propane to cook mm-hmm. with, a, with a nice, sensible flame. But if there's ethane in it, the flame is too hot and unpredictable. And so they take out the ethane. Oh. And so that you can cook properly in your kitchen. And you know what they do with that ethane? They just burn it off the top of a stack into the atmosphere. Oh, that's, they that's burn ethane it. burning. That's ethane burning. Right. And, and this, this inventor, Sten Thulin, he got the ethane. Instead of burning it in the atmosphere, he turned it into plastic bags. Like he, he took a waste product and turned it into something incredibly valuable. I suppose you just want everyone's kitchens to burn down, Gregoire. I, I really do. You, just yes. don't, you don't want them to filter out the ethane. No, no, I don't. I, would, I, would, I, would, I must think cooking would be much more fun if, if the flame was unpredictable and hot. Yeah, you know. I must admit, I, I'd find cooking much more fun at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It become a contact sport. It's not, not as relaxing as a forest. I find, co- I find cooking quite boring. So suddenly if there was an element I could <laughs> lose, lose my skin at any moment cooking eggs, it would be the best. <laughs> Going to restaurants would be much more expensive. Could it be like, I'm very sorry, we have to charge you a 10% horrible burn charge just in case Chef Dan loses his eyebrows <laughs> Making your waffles. <laughs> uh, apparently, some sea life is endangered by plastic bags in the ocean. Yeah, Have you ever yeah. been to the sea, Greg? Do you know what's in it? It's fucked. There's sharks, there's poisonous jellyfish, there's sea snakes. Fill the fucking thing with plastic bags. Get rid of those <laughs> wow, okay. So, but they're the, they, you said all the ones we don't like, and I'm assuming they don't eat plastic bags. It's all the ones we do like, like turtles and dolphins and the cool, nice ones. Turtles like eat dolphins plastic are, bags? Dolphins are pricks. Sorry? Turtles eat plastic bags? Turtles are adorable. I think so. I think so. Well, they, there you go. They're going to starve if we're not constantly putting no, plastic bags in the ocean. They shouldn't be they're eating gonna plastic starve. bags. They're going to starve. They're going to starve. I don't know what's going on now. This okay. is all very confusing. Now, I, this, I thought I had a... Pl- this we isn't just about convenience to me. This isn't just about our lifestyle. This is I about think... our legacy, Gregoire. Okay, so everyone knows how rocks are made, right? Mm. So mm. igneous rocks, real hot in the centre of the earth, spat out igneous rock. Sedimentary rocks, ground and sand, pressed flat, turned into brand new rocks out of sand. Yes. So there's a new type of rock that you introduced me to, Gregoire. Yes, we plast- talked about it on the podcast yeah, before. Called plastoglomerate. Yes. Now, eventually, when the grass has pushed up all the bitumen roads and the buildings have toppled (laughs) and the pyramids are dust and the space junk has rained down in a cascade of silicon, when Chad, the Earth's son, has gone over and Mm. scoured all trace of organic life from the globe and left a cold, dead orb spinning through the infinite void, deep 
within the strata amongst the sedimentary rocks and the igneous rocks, there will be a fine line of plastiglomerate. A signature in the stone screaming out to the universe, we were here, we, we existed, we, we lived and, and we loved and we died. And most important of all, we carried groceries. <laughs> Goodbye, my beloved plastic bag. Goodbye. <laughs> and Godspeed. <laughs> All right, Gregoire. I am pushing you into the machine, slamming the door. I can't believe... You don't have to push me in. I will walk into the machine. Why, why are you pushing me in the machine? The I will drama. walk in. Get your hands, get your hands off of me. I, I walk in like a time-travelling hero. That's the linen closet. That's okay. Come out of the well, closet. Get it. Oh, God. Here, let me help you into the machine. That's, oh, my okay, God. Fine. It's getting old. All right. I'm going to be such a hero in the past, as long as there's no closets around. Okay. Click. You're in the machine. Yes. And I am sending you to... <coughs> I have no idea. <laughs> no, yes, I do. 1770-something in Kodiak 1776. Island. 1776 in Kodiak Island. That's right. So I appear on Kodiak Island. Kodiak Island is just off the coast of Alaska. It is part of the chain of islands, the Aleutian Islands that sort of come off the side and that go all the way almost to Russia. But it's very much nestled sort of close to the Alaskan coast. It's the 80th biggest island in the world. So it's quite a large island. Yeah, we're it's, number one. We're number one. Australia is number one. It's true. Smallest continent, largest island. Yay, Australia. But this is this is about Kodiak Island. The There are people there, thank goodness. I'm not just living there by myself because it's very, very cold. It's Alaska. It can get seriously cold. And they are the Aleutic people, uh, sometimes known as the Sugpiak people, depending on what term you want to use for them. The, the Basically, people would know them as Inuits, I guess. So these are the people you think of who live in those sort of climes. Thank goodness they're there because they can keep me alive because I freeze my ass off pretty quickly. Eskimos? Don't say that. No, that's not, that's that's not, not good. A, that's not a thing. That's, that's not, not a thing. Yeah. We, don't, we, don't, we don't use that word no more. No. That's, um, no, no. I, I actually learned that Eskimo is the word that I think they all use for each other. It's like, oh, those Eskimos. Oh, really? Yeah, when they're when they're being rude. And may, well, maybe oh, that's... right. Oh, okay, there you go. But you know, these, so these are these are the Aleutic people, and I would try and be a shaman to them. That's my plan. Seventeen seventy-six. I was. That's my be a shaman. Now these people are, are quite a amazing. Shaman. I mean, because this is a science podcast, and you're not. Well, you're yes. going to be tossing bones. They basically, because they have shamans already, so they they yeah. have shamans. I'll get, I'll get into that. I'll get into that. The, let, let me get there. All right. So the, the shamans are the, the wise men of the area, and they hunt. There's lots of meat eating. They hunt seals. They hunt whales. So um, belugas, fin, uh, right fin. Uh, so your fin whales, all sorts of whales that comes ashore near shore. They they nip out there and Thank they hunt. Goodness, they've got forward facing eyes. That's, that's true. Unlike those whales with their side facing eyes, stupid bloody whales. And uh, yeah, they do very well actually. They they live quite well. They survive. They've survived for a very long time, thousands and thousands of years in the island of the Kodiak. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in 1784, it all goes horribly, horribly wrong for them. <laughs> so that's eight years away. That's eight years away. That's right. So in 1784, they uh, meet up with the Russians. So a, a Russian fur trader by the name of um, Grigory Shilakovic comes to shore with three ships and 130 armed men and cannoneers. And 
sort of go, all of this will be ours. Now, the Russians were there to fur trade. They were really good hunters, land hunters. They weren't very good at sea hunting, so they were trying to convince the people here to, to sea hunt for them. The people said, no thanks, we're good. And so they were massacred somewhere between 500 men, women, and children to up to 3,000. It's, it's hard to say how many were actually killed. Ouch. So, what? Lots of people. Not one Russian was killed. That's pretty horrific in the an area called Refuge Rock, which is a bit of a sad name for it. So yeah, Ref, Ref, Refuge Rock and the, the uh, Three Saint Inlet. So that's oh, what man, I'm dealing that's with. Awful. I, that's awful. I wouldn't expect that sort of behaviour from the Russians. They're usually such a trustworthy, uh, you know, <laughs> governed governed body. Well, yes. Well, yeah, and these well, these are just people. These were um, Siberians too, from from Akutsk near Lake Baikal. So anyway, tough people, and they basically slaughtered their way through. So here's my problem. I know that I've got eight years to do something for these people before it all goes horribly wrong. They're not all wiped out, by the way. There's a lot more than that that live there, the the Elusic people. But they're subjugated from that point on. They can't fight back at that point. They're just told, you will do what we say or we just slaughter every single one of you until, you know, you do what we say. There's no way to live. It, which is, yeah. You've yeah, got to do something, Gregoire. You've got to make a stand or, more importantly, you've got to make some money. Yeah, that's <laughs> – so here's, here's what I need to think. Here's, now, I'm going to jump ahead the eight years. So go with me on this one. I've landed in 7076. Yep. Jump ahead now to 7084. So 7084, these three large wooden ships turn up, and everyone's a little bit surprised. We go forth. Not to everyone, I'm assuming. Well, not well, not me. You I mean, I, I mean, be. actually, no, no one's actually surprised at all. I've been telling people a lot about what's about to happen. Oh, all right. So I haven't kept them a secret. We go and meet them. We meet them in boats. We're like, hey, oh, you guys, we've heard about you. You're amazing. Uh-huh. Come come to shore. Come to shore and, and, and feast on our whale blubber. And, and we'll give you these beads and we'll give you this cool stuff and this stuff we carved out of bone. It's gonna, We're going to have a great party. Do you like our women? Oh, look at our women. They look pretty sexy, don't they? Yeah. Come to shore. Excellent. No, 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 you have to take everyone to shore. That's fine. That, that would be dangerous and stupid. And you really shouldn't do that that's good thinking just just come to shore and meet us in this hut over here and so they do because they were expecting to have to deal with people but they, these people seem really friendly which is great like yeah. normally the, the natives are easy to overthrow that's right they, and and that, that there's like a talkative pale one that seems to be vaguely nervous and smiley uh but it doesn't look <laughs> like the rest of them but he seems to be some sort of shaman so that's fine i'm like hey grigori my name's also grigori we've got the same name isn't that weird yeah, hey, you, I mean, you'll be best friends. You'll be chums. Yeah, that's right. We'll be, we'll be best friends. Although you're, lo- like, you're looking hey. at me like like there's something that I'm missing, and I'm like, wait, did you time travel twice? Is this you again? <laughs> no, 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 this is Grigori Shelikov. This, okay. this is the fur trader. But, like, we're both called Grigori. Come on in, and we sort of we sit down with the with the local people, and we sort of have a few laughs in the Three Saints area, and uh, and that's fine. Then I go, oh, and people sort of go out and get food for them, and we get them food, and we, we get them a bit of, you know, drinks and things, and I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry. I've just got to step outside for a moment. It's just, I've just, I've forgotten a big present for you and a sexy lady for you as well be back with a big present and a sexy lady and i go outside i do not feel suspicious at all gregory oh. no that's that's yeah, right. this is this is the kind of behavior that we've been learned to expect from these wonderful people yes, and then they so, explode what i beg your pardon then, and then they explode dan at that point there is a huge delight ex- <laughs> They're like, no, no, oh, no. this is wonderful. <laughs> well, no, no, they, they they catch on fire and they burn to death. Jesus so, Christ. 
that's right. At that moment, also, what an amazing coincidence! Yeah, that's right. Their boats, all, all three boats, are set on fire at the same, exactly the same time, and anyone that's on the shore is basically bombarded with fire. There's fire everywhere, Dan. There's total. It's just it's a firestorm of horror for the Russians at this point. To destroy, it'd be a what? bad battle. I admit this. It wouldn't be easy, but they'd be caught unawares and burnt to death, and everything about them would be burnt to pieces. This is the plan. Heavens above. That's right. But you maybe need some backup here. How the heck do I do this? Yeah, some... yeah, this is, what we, this is what I'd love to hear. Not just going to burn everyone to death magically. Now, the people, the good people of the Kodiak Island, they do a lot of hunting. They do a lot of fishing. They actually are very cool. They've created a um, what's called a whaling dart head, and this is a, a whaling blade that they can throw at a whale, and it poisons the whale. It's basically used for a wolf, wolfsbane and aconitum, which is a, a plant, to make a poison what? that paralyzes the whale's tail, and the oh whale doesn't drown God. at that point. That is so cool. I mean, it is, it's, it's super very cool. sad, yeah, it's like, but it's also very cool. I am kind of ignoring the fact that I'm a vegetarian and slaughtering a poor whale isn't cool. But, you know, we, you know, pick my time. Um, so they, these, these people do all this by themselves. Pick my by time. Them. My morals are back in the present. <laughs> exactly. Well, you've got to survive, baby. You've got to survive. <laughs> they use this poison to paralyze the whale. And to, when the whale couldn't swim anymore, it basically suffocates and it floats to the surface. And that's how they, that's how they capture these whales. That's how they catch these. They don't, it isn't like, yes, they do harpoon them, but they don't have to, like, stab them to death with explosive harpoons. So they, this is how they do it. Yeah. That's how they can catch really big whales. So some of this poison is, of course, put into the, the Russian people's tea when they come and drink. So it slows them down. It doesn't kill them, but it slows them down. It fogs their mind a bit. It's a bit of a – it basically makes them not think too clearly. So when I left, they weren't suspicious at all. That's oh, all right. Okay. That's one of the reasons they weren't That's suspicious. why. That's, okay, yep. But the Alutic didn't have oil. They just don't have it. Oil did exist at that point. I mean, obviously it existed, but people weren't using it that much uh, in 1776. But they were starting to use whale oil. It was already starting to be used. The Alutics weren't at this point. But uh, it's actually really, really, really easy. You Well, <laughs> relatively really, really, really you easy. You catch a whale? Step one, well, catch a whale. They, just did, they, did, they do that for me. That yes. was like the easiest part because I was like, oh, I don't know. I have to teach them how to catch whales. Stand back, Gregoire. They're catching whales long before I got there. Aye. So that's great. And they would eat them and they would use the blubber to seal their clothes. And they would... Uh, uh, they, uh. Huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> uh, but they wouldn't. And all you do is take that blubber and you cut the blubber through the blubber, but not through the skin. And you have what, what are called blubber books. And you put them into a, a pot and you rend the fat and you get oil. You get this whale oil. Yep. The whale oil is flammable. It can yeah. be burnt. Yeah, they use it it's in lamps definitely... and stuff. It doesn't make create lamp. much smoke, I think. It makes a lot of smoke, oh. in fact. It's actually really bad. That's why we don't use oh, whale oil. They replaced, or they replaced it with yes. something else that didn't make much. Smoke. That's right. Okay, Her, yeah. um, vegetable oil and, of course, petroleum oil. Um, kerosene was a big one, but doesn't. So it was very, very smoky. So when I arrive and teach them how to do this, we automatically start getting to be able to control fire at this point. I mean, they already had fires, but now we can have oil lamps. We can start having oil around places. Cooking with oil is always yeah. better than you know not cooking with oil. Not as good as um, ethane, of course, but we can't make plastic bags as of yet. No, but. We'll get there one day. Get some deep fried whale we can, <laughs> we can now have pots of oil, basically Molotov cocktails, which is you know ironically used against the Russians to <laughs> you know, to to make a, a a throwable weapon that can burn 
people alive. The hearts that we take everyone, we just put a big vat of this stuff underneath it. And when I went outside, the people around lit an oily rag that went underneath it and blew up, blew them up. But the clever part, I think, is more guerrilla warfare at this point. There's going to be whales in the harbor. You just have one of the whales, a dead whale, and you have the people pushing it along in their kayaks so they can cut kind of close to the boat in the evening. And then they can leap out and start throwing Molotov cocktails at the boats, which are wooden, yep. and they can burn the boats alive, which is the point. All you have to do is burn the gunpowder racks to explode the boats. Why are they cannons- pushing a dead whale next to the boat? But they're pushing, they're hiding behind a whale, basically. Oh, yes. I see. I see. Yes. They're hiding behind. Bernie-style fiasco. No, no, no. <laughs> they're using it as a way of, of hiding to to get close to the boats to to burn it. And because they're not they're not that worried either. But they go, oh, maybe a, maybe it's a whale. It's a very calm whale. Maybe. Um, yeah. I'm not saying it's. Yeah, it's not the best plan. It's not diving. It's not diving, <laughs> Gregory. They not they don't always dive. They sometimes they hang out. They find they find exciting stuff happening on surfaces. It's all cool. It's all good. And they're not whale experts. They're, that's not what they're about. Yeah, they're uh, ocean-faring Russians. They don't know anything about whales. Well, in fact, it does say they're not good at they're not good at uh, fishing for whales. That's why no. they've come here for these people because they want them to fish for whales. So I'm just you know. Just, oh, you know, okay. So the point is that we wipe them out. We burn them to a crisp. <laughs> we take over. But it still causes problems because, well, to start off with, it won't be called Three Saints. The town of Three Saints isn't uh, isn't actually built at that point because it was named after the three boats, which were named after Three Saints. But anyway, that's fine. But they need to then go and guerrilla warfare style. Anytime someone comes to these very deep inlets with very high cliffs, mm-hmm. they have to get basically bombard them with fire until they go away or they die. We want to wipe them out. This is the plan. Not You can't beat an empire like the Russians, but you have to make it so expensive like the Vietnam War that in the end it's, it's not worth attacking. In the end, they sell the whole thing to America, and I want them to sell it faster because of these crazy people on Kodiak Island that will just wreck your shit if you come anywhere near them. Because he can't fire the cannons in inland too far, so run and hide. Now these people, the um, the Lutek are also pretty hardcore. They rend their own people down to fat to capture whales. They actually what? So they they take their own hunters, rend them, rend the fat of the hunter down, and then pour it into the inlets to stop whales escaping. They said that the smell of the human fat. I don't think this is true, but you know, the smell of the human fat would make whales be scared, and the whales oh, wouldn't go wow. past. The area now. I don't know how true that is, but they seem to believe it, and they would actually rend their own greatest hunters, so the spirit would go into the water. Wow! Pretty, oh, that's pretty that's cool. very romantic, actually. So they would trade with the people around them to get all their stuff, and they would train with the mainland as well. The American, well, the sorry, the Alaskan mainland, which is Russian at that point, I guess, which would become sort of in the in the American mainland. So. They would be able to sell their oil. They can start selling oil to other people. And hopefully that would mean that I would have an exciting life as an oil shaman as part of a crazy tribe of violent lunatics <laughs> on Kodiak Island. Greg, Done. do you remember when I sent you to Egypt? What was it that you invented? Uh, the chariot so I could crush my enemies. Yeah, it wasn't that. That wasn't the big invention. Oh, what was the big invention? I can't remember. The wheel. The wheel, yes. And I made fun of you and said, what are you going to do next? And you've literally done it. You've no, come no, to no, me no. my time and go, I, look, Dan, I invented fire. 
Don't know. Now, admittedly, it's oil. destructive as all get-out fire. <laughs> it's oil. It's I just I created an oil-based weapon, but which can also be used in a peaceful situation to have oil lamps keeping things warm. You can cook <laughs> with it. It increases the civilization. I know you how can... fire works, Greg. You can then you can then blow you can blow up all the Russians who come nearby. And there's nothing wrong with this, Dan. I know there's nothing wrong with it. I just, uh... You're not a fan, obviously. Not a fan. So where are you sending me? I am sending you, Mr. Beeston. That's Mr. JJJ Beeston to you. (laughs) You are heading to 56 AD in a little town called Venta Isonorum in 56 AD, which is in Britain. Ooh. So, yes. That's early. Oh, well, that sounds lovely. I'll, uh, it's lovely. I'll, I'll, it's I'll, in the I'll it's go. in the Norfolk area. Norfolk's a lovely part of Britain. I'll go have some tea with them. I'm sure they've got tea. I'm sure. I'm sure they'll do something with you. Yes. Hey, I look forward to it. Walk of shame. Walk of shame. This is when we point out the mistakes we make in the podcast. We don't. We write our them. Audience we members we do. don't. We our do. listeners. Our, our wonderful listeners keep us on the straight and narrow. And it's not just us. It's also our guests are not safe from the laser focus of scientific accuracy. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so this one's one came for Eloise, who talked on The Wild Wonders Why about uh, how she had fertility issues. She kept she talked about having yeah. uh, maternal twins and fraternal twins. And as a listener wrote in to say, what's a maternal twin? And in context, the maternal twin was an identical twin. But there's no such thing, as, as this listener pointed out, no such thing as a maternal twin, identical twin. Uh, they're just identical and fraternal twins. Uh, Eloise already knows this. She already feels suitably shamed. Yeah, same, same. Same, same. <laughs> it's fine. I like the idea of calling of calling identical twins maternal twins. It doesn't mean anything scientifically, but it's kind of nice to go uh, maternal and fraternal. It's lovely. <laughs> and uh, fraternal twins just keep interrupting each other. And, and, and earn 30% more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you hear Greg say anything that is wrong, please point it out to me, dan at smartenough.org. Yes, and when Dan makes it boo-boo, then send that boo-boo to greg at smartenough.org. Welcome to Science Corner, a part of the podcast we very rarely do, and I just kind of made up right then. Science Corner, where we answer your scientific questions. Science Corner, science, nobody puts science in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) We're having the time of our lives. This question is from Tom S. So Tom S. says, this might be a totally dumb question. Never say that. It's never a totally dumb question. But why isn't the night sky white? There are infinite stars, so every direction we look, there should be stars to see. So why is the night sky dark? Love your work, Tom. That's a great question. I really like that question. I was like, okay, why is the night sky not white? And this is actually quite an old question. There was a, an astronomer, a German astronomer by the name of Heinrich Olbers, and he was back in the 18th century, 19th century, 18th, 18th, 19th century, and he actually asked that very question. Well, if the universe is infinite and there are infinite stars, then every direction you look, you should see a point of light, and they should all add up, and you should just see a white sky. And no one could answer this for a very long time. But the reason is because the infinite universe isn't infinite. Well, it might be. It might be infinite. <laughs> but we can't see it. We don't know. The light takes time to travel. 
light isn't isn't at infinite speed. Light actually travels at 300,000 kilometers a second. Uh, if you're an American, that's 214, 285 sheppies per second. A sheppie yeah. being the measure of distance equal to roughly a seven-eighth of a mile, defined as the closest distance at which a sheep remains picturesque. Oh, yep, yep. Yeah, yep. that, that was by Douglas Adams in The Meaning of Lift can coin that one. So, that's very, <laughs> so 214, 285 sheppies per second for our American listeners. That means that if the universe is 13.8 billion years or so, you can only see as long as light's been traveling. So you can only see 13.8 billion years away, basically. Ah, so if the star is like 400,000 kilometers away, is that right? No. We, yeah. can, we can see it, yes. But if it's like 400 million kilometers away and it's only been in existence for, you know, a couple of weeks, then <laughs> its light hasn't reached us yet. Yes, it, it light hasn't reached exactly right. And that means so does a that visual... mean that the universe is getting lighter as we go? Well, what's interesting is there's two points to this. We haven't kind of gone both points yet. We, we, there's a visual end to the universe. There's like a, a as far as the light can reach is that 13.8 billion years. And beyond that, the universe may go on. In fact, we think it, that's not the end of the universe. That's just the visual side of the universe we can see. So we can't see beyond that. So there may be stars on the other side of that. The light hasn't reached us yet. There's another point, though. The universe is expanding as well. So there's more space between us and the edge of the universe that's occurring. And those stars, everything's moving away from each other. So the universe is expanding and things are expanding faster and faster and faster. So the light is being redshifted away from the visual spectrum. So that white light from the star that's coming towards us, if it's redshifted into radio waves, we can't see it anyway. So there's still a glow. There's still a cosmic microwave background glow. There's still radio waves running around the universe, but we can't see them with our eyes. And that's kind of the answer. The universe is so big and time, uh, light takes so long to get to us and the universe is expanding so quickly that some parts of the universe are going to look black. We're just going to not be able to see anything there because the light will never reach us. If our eyes travels, were slightly different, would the, the night sky be a lot brighter and sort of just red? If your eyes were different, this is something that where I work at the International Centre of Radio Astronomy Research, they work with radio waves. If you could see into the radio sky then you could see things in the sky you can't see with your eyes right now. You would see radio waves and from being projected by things. So, yes, you would see different things in the sky. If you could see in cosmic, if you can see in microwaves, you could see, hopefully, the cosmic microwave background. That would be very, very, very faint. I mean, that would yeah. be ridiculously faint. Cool. Uh, yeah. So that's why we can't see stars everywhere, because there's the universe isn't infinite. It's expanding, and it takes time for that light to reach us, and will never, never will in some cases. Yeah, so there, you, there go. you go. There you go, Tom. Thank you very much. If you have a question, send it in to Science Corner. So, science Corner. Science, science Lifting science up, up in the lake and making uh, teaching her how to dance. And and it's not weird that science is sixteen and you're in your mid thirties. That's not weird. It's weird. It's not. It's not, uh, not weird at all. Not, not weird, weird at all. At all. It was, it, the eighties were a different science time. Science is without morals. It's just but, like things yeah. that are happening. Think, yeah. Don't put your weirdness on it, please. We didn't write the movie, or but we are. Kind of, oh, science corner. Science corner. Science corner. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, Greg at smartenough.org. You can get along to smartenough.org and click on any of the buttons to follow us on any of our social media 
quarries or to subscribe to the podcast. That's right. You could also buy a shirt while you're there. Cool shirts in, uh, created by Michael Fitzhugh. Amazing shirt. I've seen a couple of pictures of people wearing them. They look really great. So, yay. Thank you for buying those shirts and yeah. supporting the podcast. Oh, my my mate come... Raymond turned up. I didn't even realize that he was particularly interested in listening to the podcast. Suddenly he's there in the in the shirt. I was like, oh, Aww. my God. That's that's pretty cool. And, of course, if you want to support us, you can always throw us two bucks uh, an episode once a month uh, at our Patreon page. You can see that on the website as well. But just type it faster and better. Patreon, you'll find us. You'll, uh, you know how to run. You know how the internet works. You know. You know. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, like, there are a couple of other options on Patreon, obviously. One of them <sighs> is that I have to insult the top tier members. They're paying 15 bucks a, a month. In That's order true. for me to like have a crack at him and like really research them, yeah, and yeah, yeah, try yeah, to get yeah. he's, like trying to he's have earning go. the money, people. He's really earning this okay. money. So, yeah, it's pretty, so pretty impressive. Last month there were six people. This month only five. Oh, there you go. You've heard the you've heard their feelings. Okay, so one patron moved from the insult tier to a set more sensible tier, uh, possibly after I insinuated that they were a pedophile last month. <laughs> so. Yeah, that could be. Um, that could be it. So, uh, yeah. So let's let's, let's move on to the other five pedophiles. <laughs> no, we're not. Okay, we're not, we're not saying that. Al Batson. I mm. found Al Batson's Facebook page. There's no info there. It's all locked down. He has like six public posts. Ooh. Two of them are duplicates, and one is a post telling people to listen to this awesome podcast he discovered in March of last year. <laughs> it's ours. <laughs> okay, so this is the best I could do. Hey, nice photo of Damien Cowell's disco machine, Al. What? Did you take it with a Samsung phone with no lighting rig? Amateur. Right. Okay. Nicely done. Okay. Shocked and appalled, Dan. I'm shocked and appalled. Scott Driscoll. Scott does a lot of cosplay and builds core flute props for our plays and has Ghostbuster packs made out of plywood. Learn to engineer with real building materials, Scott. What? Smelting too hard for you, you big bald fudge wrangler. Fudge wrangler. Yeah. That's a one who wrangles fudge. Yeah. That's a, that sounds like the best job in the world. I think it's metaphorical fudge. I think that's poop. Oh. Eric Wilson. No, I'm not, no. Oh. Eric Wilson, top bloke, salt of the earth. <laughs> Tom Seary. <laughs> Tom Siri, I went to HorganWines.com, Tom, and all there is is something called a Lime Survey, which is an open source survey program, and it doesn't have any surveys available. Apparently, you're the administrator there, Tom. Left your fucking game. <laughs> and finally, Dustin Fallon. On the 11th of December, Dustin liked a video on Godvine, a Christian video site. Oh, Christian stuff, Dustin. Believing in the afterlife, Dustin. Nice work holding both the opposing ideas about results-based scientific discovery and also holding the emotive and faith-based ideas of the Abrahamic monotheistic religion in the same brain. Your cognitive dissonance makes me want to puke in a pentagram. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. There we go. Okay. Oh, my goodness. That's okay. top tier. That's top tier. Then, yes. there's the, then there's a second tier where you get your name read out on the podcast. And I don't That's right. use anyone. Do you want me to do that? Oh, do you want to do it? Well, I wrote a song. Okay. okay. Andrew Trousdale, Andrew Whitehouse, and Elizabeth Yunkin, Ilana Mitchell, Stephen Eichenhout, and my man Phil Holland. Gyroscope. <laughs> Natalie and Matt Ewers. 
Matthew Toy, Michael Barnes, Lindsay Jenkinson, that's my favourite list from Patreon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Ah. <laughs> We're going to lose so many Patreon members. So if you pay $40 a month, I'll never sing again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well done, Dan. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. As we always like to say... Insane in the membrane. Insane in the brains. Uh, About plastic bags. I'm no longer allowed to use plastic bags. Uh, Is it all over Australia? Or is it... I know South Australia already had gone. Western Australia is gone. You don't have them either, do you? So it it must be national then. Probably not in Canberra, you know. (laughs) <laughs> they're allowed to, although they're more brown paper bags, aren't they, in Canberra? Uh, I don't know, Certainly actually, anymore. they dirty magazines and fireworks. <laughs> it, I, I read somewhere saying that uh, mothers who have scary experiences while they're pregnant can actually put stressful indicators into their children that actually lead to obesity and that sort of stuff. Because they, if the mother was stressed... And that means the baby goes, oh, my God, the world's a terrifying place. And eat, 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 or Woo, whatever it has to be. Go Lamarckism. Yeah, it's, it's that kind. It sort of is. Yeah, it's sort of because not, it's not genetic change. It's just chemical changes in the child. So don't stress pregnant women, basically, is what we're trying to say here. Oh, that's my favorite hobby. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Boo! Ah, uh, nothing came out. Next time. <laughs> Paternal twins? Yeah, paternal twins. No, fraternal twins. Fraternal? Fraternal. Fra, not pa. Pa, paternal. So this is what we're talking about. The paternal twins are earning seventy no, percent more. Fra, fra, fraternal. No, that's 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 just siblings, isn't it? I oh, know there's brothers. Because maternal would be mother, and paternal would be father. What are you talking about? In real life right now, they're identical twins and they're a fraternal twin. Yeah, but I'm going on a, on a, on a tangent. I'm going on, oh, on, on a whimsical no, adventure. I'm, I'm Paternal sorry. twins. So you want paternal twins and mater- that paternal couple- twins keep interrupting each other and earn 30% more. Oh, I see. See, that's I the joke. Right. Okay. Good. External I'm- twins do not last very long at all. No, that's all right. Well, I, I must admit, though, that's where I hope we're going. One day you'll be able to have external twins. You, you, just, you just you have sex, then you take it all out, and you put it in a jar, and then you, a baby grows, and then you just have to take it out occasionally and see it. That sounds like the best idea. Nocturnal twins? They're, nocturnal twins. They can, they can see at night? Only vampires. They're just vampires. Yep, nocturnal twins. That's right. I like it. <laughs> and as we always like to say... Insane in the membrane! In, I'm pointing at you. Oh, in, insane in, in the, the brain. In the planes. The rain. Insane on the planes. No. With the rain. No. Let's, let's, let's try this again, shall we? Hmm? Oh, uh, insane on no. the on the plane. As in, as in, as we always like to say. Oh, as uh, no, don't put it on me. Uh, insane. You got no, no brain. Did you say that insane to me? brain. C cell, CK cell, K killer cells. Come on, Dan. Okay. As we always like to say. Wait till I'm not speaking. As we always like to say. Insane in the membrane. Insane in the brains. Well done. That was phew. It was worthwhile in the end. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, None of that will go to waste.